0: Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you bring your faith into public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Cross. Good morning, Kit.
1: Hey, good morning. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I hope that you have a very blessed day.
0: You can catch us each Saturday here on Relevant Radio, a.m. 1330 at 11 a.m. But if you miss an episode or want to catch up on past episodes, just visit us at mncatholic.org slash podcast or find us on your favorite podcast app. Each week we bring you some great interviews on some of the major issues impacting how we live our faith in public life. We also answer your questions in our mailbag segment, and you can always email those to show at mncatholic.org. Again, show at mncatholic.org or contact us on social media. And it wouldn't be the bridge builder if we didn't provide you with practical ways that you can become a missionary disciple in the public arena. In just over a month, busloads of students and thousands upon thousands of people of, from all ages and walks of life will descend on Washington for the annual March for Life. On January 24th, pro-lifers will join in that 47th annual March for Life, not only in our nation's capital, but also in cities across the country. This year's theme, Life Empowers, Pro-Life is Pro-Woman, carries a special historic moment with it. 2020 marks the 100th anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which guarantees women the right to vote. The movement to pass the 19th Amendment was led by women suffragists considered the early pioneers of the feminist movement, who also understood that abortion ends life and harms women. To delve into the details of this year's march and today's pro-life movement, we are blessed to be joined on the line from Washington, D.C., Jeannie Mancini, president of the March for Life. Jeannie, good morning and thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Now, the March for Life is not just a march, it's also an organization. So tell us a little bit about your organization, March for Life, and what it does.
2: Oh, thanks. Yeah, so we're an organization of 10 people, and we very much work year-round taking the collective voice of the marchers to Capitol Hill every day of the year. But, of course, our flagship program is the actual March for Life, the largest single gathering of pro-life people around the world annually. And that, of course, happens in Washington, D.C. every year around the time of the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. We also are involved in a state March for Life program. It's it's very embryonic in its stages, um, but this year we'll have state capital marches in Richmond, Virginia, in Pennsylvania, and in Connecticut, as well as California.
0: Excellent. That's wonderful. Now, I think that's really fantastic that... Not only are we doing something on a particular day in January, but your organization is bringing that voice into the halls of government throughout the year. Some people might wonder, you know, what the point is of spending all these resources and taking all this time to do a march that the media doesn't even really cover. So let me play devil's advocate with you. What's the value? What's the return on investment for having these marches? What practical impact does it really have?
2: Well, as Catholics, I mean, just just speaking from the perspective of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, it's really our our duty, uh, and that's uh, really, you know, in terms of impacting the public square, we think really broadly about God's plan for the world, you know, and, and God's plan to return sort of the world to him and reality to him. And unfortunately, the reality that we live in today doesn't reflect that most especially when it comes to protecting the inherent dignity of the human person, and that's true at different stages of life with laws and, and just different aspects of disrespect for human dignity. But it's it's most especially true in the lack of protection for human dignity in the womb. And so it's it's our duty as Catholics to try to impact and change the public square and change the law to be reflective of the inherent dignity of the human person. So first and foremost, I would just say it's, it's, it's our call. We can't not march. But then if you're going to talk about return on investment, we can look to, you know, so many wonderful things happening in culture that show that we are changing hearts and minds so that one day abortion is unthinkable in our culture, not only illegal, but unthinkable. And so some of those markers include a decrease in the abortion rate, a decrease in abortion clinics, an increase in pregnancy care centers around the world, which collectively in the United States every year offer over $100 million in free resources to women and men facing unexpected pregnancies. And then you can also look, among many other things, but just to keep it list short here, you can also look to hearts and minds changing. So when we gauge public opinion on abortion, we know that for 10 years strong, Eight out of ten Americans would limit abortion more than it's limited in the United States. They limit abortion at most of the first three months of pregnancy, and while that you know is the March for Life knows that any abortion is one too many any stage in pregnancy. That's also not reflective of the law, and it shows that the hearts and minds of Americans are moving in the direction of life. We also have young people on the side of life when you look at public opinion polls. So I know I've, I've thrown a lot at you there, Jason. So. Um, feel free to drill down at all, but I would say that would be the biggest return on investment is these markers towards building a culture of life.
0: That's awesome. I'm already encouraged. Thank you, Jeannie, for highlighting those things. And it's just something that people are always thinking about, you know, like, well, what's the, what is the point? How can I make a difference? And it just gives people hope that, that you know, we can't do, not everyone can do everything, but we can all do small things with great love and This just showing up at a march like that makes a difference. It is changing hearts and minds. And that collective witness uh, of the pro-life movement is really powerful. And you're absolutely right that, um, Hearts and minds are changing and we're seeing the, the practical way in which that's happening, especially with regard to fewer clinics, fewer abortions, at least in Minnesota as well. So that's great news. This year's theme for March for Life, why does it matter that 100 years ago women who were demanding the right to vote were also pro-life? What, what does that say about um, perhaps yeah. maybe the, some of the movements in the conversation among women and women's rights and things of that nature?
2: Oh, Jason, it's a great, great question. Why is that important? Well, because today, in 2019, there are so many confusing and conflicting messages about what it means to be a woman, and as Catholics, we've got such deep and rich anthropology, understanding the inherent dignity and vocation of women. You know, we know that men and women are equal in dignity and yet inherently different, but sadly, that's not necessarily the stance of the world, right? And so, there's, again, just a lot of confusion over what it means to be pro-woman. And many falsely claim, erroneously claim, that the early suffragists would be pro-choice. And, and we know from many quotes and different things like that that they understand that being pro-woman very much um, involved being pro-life. It, it involved respect for mom, but respect for the baby as well.
0: It seems today that the pro-life debate has become more extreme, particularly on the pro-choice side of things, where here in Minnesota we're facing a a legal assault in the courts on our many, many common-sense laws that protect health and safety of women undergoing abortions, They make sure there's informed consent, things like the ultrasound bill, the waiting period, the parental notification, things of that nature. Or you see at the federal level these the so-called infanticide bills where even pro-choice legislators are voting against things that seem to protect children who survive botched abortions and things of this nature. What do you attribute the sort of radicalization of the pro-choice side uh, to? We, we moved from safe, legal, and rare in Bill Clinton's famous phrase to now it's uh, abortion on demand all the way up to uh, birth. What's What's going on there?
2: You know... Uh... I don't have the answer to that question. It's a really, really good question, but I would certainly underscore that it is happening. Why is it happening? I mean, to take it on a spiritual level, I I think that we know that the enemy of God wants, you know, advocates for anything that isn't true. And so one of the most beautiful things about our reality and our religion is the miracle of life. And so we're seeing this inverted in some of the um, terrible pieces of legislation that are enacted. So I also think what we've seen is years and years ago, and of course, the March for Life, by the way, is bipartisan. So we always seek very much to have both sides of the political aisle represented. But in truth, that's getting harder and harder. So we've seen, for example, the Democratic platform went from two presidential elections ago And and many years ago, from the idea of safe, legal, and rare to now, it's abortion, on demand, and paid for by taxpayer dollars until the time of birth. And now, as you were saying, even sometimes not protecting human life after birth. So. The, the good news is that reality is not arbitrary so we can you know the laws can be changed sadly and we can quote unquote shout our abortion stories you know to quote planned parenthood in, in their latest pr campaign but that doesn't change the reality of what's happening which is that a life has been taken And a mom has been wounded. And that's, again, why we march every single year to show that this is a human rights abuse, regardless of where legislation is, and to show that it needs to be righted, that it's a a social justice issue.
0: Recently there was Human Rights Day and, and Planned Parenthood tweeted uh, about protecting everyone's rights and and that got quite a response from many pro-lifers. Uh, what do you attribute to the obliviousness of recognizing the just scientific fact of life in the womb and that was last year's, I think, Theme of March for Life was that the science tells the story of uh, the dignity of human life and the reality of human life in the womb. But what what do you see this obtuseness to uh, even scientific facts?
2: Yeah. Well, um, again, I would just uh, underscore yes, that's there. I, I I don't try to get into the mind of of sort of the pro you know abortion proponents. Um, to uh, what I try to do is pray really hard for their conversion and to do that as much as I can, to, to act with love. So it was also shocking to me to see on Human Rights Day yesterday, Planned Parenthood tweet what they did. You know, it was basically human rights for everyone. But, of course, they left out a huge chunk of the population. We've lost 60 million Americans to abortion since Roe v. Wade. And just to throw it out there, I put a tweet out that said abortion is the single, you know, gravest human rights abuse of today – and we need to do everything in our power with mercy and love to make abortion unthinkable. And it was very popular and got a lot of retweets because it resonates with people's hearts and their lived experience. So, you know, Planned Parenthood, of course, gets millions and millions of taxpayer dollars. They're very well funded by Hollywood very well funded by Hollywood. And they're big these days on quote unquote, shout your abortion. So in other words, to try to, re- to remove any stigma from an abortion. But at the end of the day, that doesn't change the reality of what it is. And it certainly doesn't change people's lived experiences. I've spoken to so many women and men who deeply regret having been involved in abortion and would do anything to turn back the clock and make a different decision, you know, in that moment. And so, um, so we can each of us, every day, in our own little way, pray for the conversion of hearts and minds of people who are very much steeped in that industry. And at the March for Life, we've had speakers who who architects of abortion legalization come over and realize the truth of what they've done and and speak to marchers and dedicate their lives to being pro-life. That would include Norma McCorvey, of course, the Roe of Roe v. Wade. It also includes Mary Kano, the Doe of v. Bolton, and Bernard Nathanson, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who worked for NARAL Pro-Choice America and considered himself one of the legal architects of abortion in America, and he had a radical conversion. So let's all just recommit ourselves to praying for conversions of those who are working in that industry.
0: We're speaking with Jeannie Mancini, president of March for Life, the organization that uh, brings the voice of the marchers uh, to the halls of government and in the public square, but also uh, sponsors the March for Life every year in Washington, D.C. Jeannie, early in our conversation, you mentioned hearts and minds are changing. What practically do you see from your polling and from your experiences changing hearts and minds? Is it the witness of the pregnancy centers? Is it the arguments? Uh, that people are making? Is it the science? Uh, what, what's, what's changing hearts and minds in this uh, abortion debate in our country today?
2: All of the above. And it's a great question, Jason. Thanks for asking it. So I absolutely think that science and technology are on the side of life. And as you mentioned, our theme last year was very much focused on the science. So We know from a scientific definition of when life begins, we know that that is at the moment of conception or fertilization. We also know because of advances in ultrasonography that the baby at its very earliest stages is a living human being. It's not a clump of tissue that's no longer sort of touted from the other side on these kinds of things. Along the same lines, many, many women and men have lived experience both of choosing life and- of not choosing life and and have lived the consequences of that and and are, you know, affected by that. And they don't want other people to be part of that. So, for example, at the March for Life, something that's always a big component is there are testimonies before the Supreme Court at the very end of the march. And these are testimonies of women and men who regret having been involved in abortion. And they, they share those testimonies and talk about the hope and healing that they've found, but also you know, want to protect anyone from making the same mistakes that, that they've made. I also would just finish that little part with, there's a wonderful quote attributed to St. John Paul II, and it's that young people are the best ambassadors for life. I think it's an evangelium vitae. And I think that hearts and minds of young people are changing because they are so attracted to social justice issues, and they see this as the human rights abuse. And, and again, it's all of the above. They grew up, with a picture of the, their little brother or little sister's ultrasound, you know, taped to the refrigerator. And they know that in order to fully flourish and to have all of the wonderful different aspects of life, it's that a person needs the very first basic aspect, which is to be born, to have that right. And so they very much know that social justice begins in the womb, and, and they're advocating for this, you know, very important issue.
0: A lot of people are hopeful about what's going on at the U.S. Supreme Court and the courts with regard to the abortion landscape. But even if Roe v. Wade were overturned, that's not the end of the story. What's what's the long view? How do you guide people in terms of what we should be doing over the long haul here when even if Roe is overturned, it still goes back to the states and there's still a long way to go in terms of protecting life uh, in culture, but also in law as well? What's What, do you, what counsel or advice do you give for people uh, who want to see how this movement plays out over the next decade or so
2: great question so a couple things so you've heard us we've both said a a number of times today we're working for the day when abortion is unthinkable so it's very important that we continue to work to change the laws because the laws impact life I mean lives are saved through the laws and then also what is legal is seen as what's ethical And yet the loftier goal is working to change hearts and minds, and and there are so many different ways that we can do that. I mean, through, you know, just interpersonal conversation, through prayer, fasting, through state marches. That's why we started the State March for Life program is the long game. So as you mentioned, the question of abortion legality would return to the states were Roe ever corrected at the Supreme Court. And so each of the states then would have in their jurisdiction to decide, like, what limitations would happen. And so we know that so much happens at the level of the states. You know that, Jason, even more than me in your day-to-day work. But we see the state march program as being pivotal and incredibly important in the days ahead.
0: You're right, and that's that should be a, a challenge to us, but also hopeful as well. No matter what the legal landscape is, it's, it really comes down to changing hearts and minds and making abortion unthinkable. Here in Minnesota, unfortunately, abortion has been uh, deemed a state a right under our state constitution, even taxpayer funded. Uh, abortions for low-income women. So we know that even if Roe is overturned in, in at the U.S. Supreme Court, that we still have to change hearts and minds with the long-term view toward a constitutional amendment here. So it's a long way to go, but it's a sign of hope that we can really keep working to change hearts and minds, and we don't have to be totally beholden to the political process as well, because even if it is legal, we can still make it unthinkable. And that's a challenge, but also a, a marker of hope for us.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said.
0: In terms of your work, out making the voice of the marchers heard beyond just January 22nd or 24th, what are some of the things that your organization does practically to do that in the, the halls of government and in the public square?
2: So we have March for Life action, so a 501c4, as well as a 501c3, the mothership, so to speak, where we do most of our work. But we have a lobbyist that's on the Hill every single day working to bring the voice of the marchers to Capitol Hill. And so we're you know, really engaged with other groups and behind the scenes to make sure that we're a unified voice in the different things that we request from our federal lawmakers. There's been a lot of division in the past with different theories on you know the best approach, et cetera, and strategies. Um, we try to work for unity behind the scenes because it works so much better when, when we're a unified front. And we also do quite a bit in just literally taking the collective voice of the marchers. So whether it's a Supreme Court nominee or a piece of legislation or even a great, you know, pro life movie that's coming out that we want people to go see, we engage with our people through emails, et cetera. And you can check us out at marchforlife.org and get signed up for our regular text messages and our emails because we love to stay in touch with everyone.
0: Great. That's an important way to stay in touch with March for Life and what's going on in the pro-life movement is the, the text and the email. So definitely check out marchforlife.org and get connected with that fine organization and what's going on throughout the year, not just in January. Jeannie, one last question for you. In a time in which the abortion debate seems more entrenched along partisan lines, what's one way that we can build bridges, regardless of partisanship, we can transcend partisanship in the pro-life movement, but also build bridges among Democrats, especially, who might consider themselves pro-choice or even pro-life, but think that the pro-life movement is really a Republican thing or a conservative thing. What's, what are some ways in which we can build bridges of people who aren't totally comfortable with abortion on demand but are, are nervous about dipping their toe into the water of the pro-life movement for other reasons?
2: What a great question, Jason. Thanks. Let me just mention delighted to bring to the stage at the March for Life this year Katrina Jackson, who is a pro-life Democrat, an African-American Democrat from Louisiana. And she, in fact, sponsored a state bill related to abortion clinic regulations that is going to be heard before the Supreme Court this year. So she's had a huge impact in her state and now at the national level as well. I would say that our best hope these days is in state elections and in local elections. And we, at the March for Life, the day before the March, we have a conference. And the last third of the conference, the, the conference delves into the theme, and, it, and it's, it's, it's a great, exciting day. It's one of my most favorite events around the time of the March. But the last third of it is always geared towards helping marchers understand how to interact with their members of Congress, whether that's. You know, at the state level or the national level, and how to engage in a positive way with them to impact pro life public policy. And so I would also encourage people to continue to consider coming to our conference and check that out. And definitely never give up, whether it's at the federal level or the state level, every letter, every email, every text counts. You'd be amazed. Well, you, Jason, you know this, of course, working, working in, in your arena. But we hear so much from our friends that work on the Hill how constituents matter and constituents sharing their voice and their views with their elected officials is very important.
0: Absolutely it is. We can't say that enough, and even though Congress seems more and more distant from the people, it still really does uh, make an impact. Jeannie, give you the last opportunity to share anything else you'd like to add with our listeners about the march or the movement or, or what else, uh, a word of hope or encouragement. What would you like to add and share with our listeners to close our conversation?
2: Yeah, well, thank you, Jason. I, you know, I'd, I'd love, just as a fellow Catholic, to ask your listeners to really consider praying and fasting for for the, the bigger cause, the cause of life. And to know always that when, because of our culture and because we've lost so many Americans to abortion, that we always are speaking in a kind of a wounded culture into a wounded culture and to recognize the need and importance of invoking mercy, invoking hope and healing whenever we're discussing this issue. But again, I would say the single most important thing is recognizing that this is indeed a spiritual battle and that prayer and fasting makes a huge difference difference in this and so to just ask your listeners to consider that and then lastly to check us out at marchforlife.org even if you can't come to the march and it would be incredible if you can and i encourage you to consider that check us out and to be involved in social media maybe even to consider giving to the march for life if you can for our growing state program etc so that those would be my words
0: Outstanding. Keeping first things first. Thank you, Jeannie Mancini. Uh, Again, go to marchforlife.org for more information. But as we'll note later in the show, there's also local opportunities as well. Jeannie Mancini, thank you again. Thank you so much for your witness and God bless you and your work at March for Life.
2: Well, thanks so much for having me, Jason. I greatly appreciate it.
0: Thank you again. And we'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to delve into our mailbag segment. Kit, what have you got in the mailbag today?
1: Yeah, so we just finished speaking about the great work being done to help protect those in their earliest stages of life. Today's mailbag question actually deals with making decisions for care in the final stages of life. So a lot of our listeners... When they visit their doctor, they've been presented with what's called a POLST form. That stands for Providers' Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatment. Patients are asked to fill it out, and it's kept in your medical files. So today's question asks, should I fill out the POLST form given to me by my doctor? What if my wishes change and I haven't updated this form? There's a lot of concern out there and confusion.
0: And it's important that listeners know about the pulsed form and what it is and what it does and what are some of the dangers of it. Now, it's understandable that healthcare providers would be seeking more guidance and directions from patients, particularly people in senior living facilities, assisted living facilities, hospice, et cetera, et cetera, about end of life care. Oftentimes, we haven't appointed a healthcare agent, we don't have a healthcare directive, and healthcare providers are looking for concrete direction about what to do in various situations. And the Pulse form, is a form that allows you to check boxes uh, about what care you'd like to receive and, and would not like to receive. The challenge is, is that's not how we make healthcare decisions. We don't make healthcare decisions by checking boxes and in a vacuum in an abstract situation when we're not presented with an acute care situation. Oftentimes we think this is how we would want something to happen or occur, but we haven't considered all the variables. Um, we often think, oh, I don't want to be hooked up to tubes or I don't want this or that. Well, you might want to be hooked up to tubes if it meant that you could stay alive a little bit longer to see your grandchild or someone else so there's we don't make healthcare decisions in a vacuum that's why the bishops of minnesota have discouraged Pulse forms. You aren't required to fill them out legally, although in an assisted living context or a senior care center, they might make you as part of the intake process, and that presents some challenges. But again, if you go to mncatholic.org slash healthcare directive, we give you the tools to be able to make positive end-of-life decisions consistent with your Catholic faith. Again, that's mncatholic.org slash healthcare directive, and you can find the Minnesota Catholic Healthcare Directive, a guide to healthcare directives generally, and a guide to end-of-life care decisions. we give you the resources that you need to help make important healthcare decisions at the end of life, most notably selecting a healthcare agent who can make decisions for you if you become incapacitated. That's the single most important thing you can do is Find someone you trust, identify them as your healthcare agent, and legally designate them to do so. And again, your ability to do that and the paperwork required to do that can be found at mncatholic.org slash healthcare directive. But we definitely discourage Pulse. We have a statement from the Minnesota Bishop Stewards of the Gift of Life that can also be found at that website. And it says a little bit more about why we discourage making healthcare decisions through a checkbox format in a in an abstract uh, context, so to speak. So again, mncatholic.org slash healthcare directive for those resources.
1: Great. Thank you for that, Jason. And before we go today, we want to provide listeners with some practical takeaways that they can do to start living out the call to faithful citizenship. What do we have for our bricklayer segment?
0: Well, we had a great conversation this morning with Jeannie Mancini of the March for Life organization and uh, the importance of the witness of the March for Life. And people say, well, what what can I do to Uh, contribute to the cause of defending life and the law and in culture, and it doesn't seem like I can do much. She mentioned prayer and fasting as the first thing, of course, that can be done, and that's something that everybody can do. But also just showing up at the march, and uh, the March for Life in D.C. every year is a powerful witness of the strength, the youth, and the vigor of the pro-life movement, brings together people from all walks of life, and really is a powerful witness that we're on the winning side uh, of this issue. And so our diocese in Minnesota, most of them sponsor trips to the March for Life, some of our Catholic schools do as well, but there are ways to get connected. And get on board one of those buses to head to D.C. for the March for Life, which is not just a march, but a series of events and different things happening uh, around the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Again, this year's theme is the uh, 100th anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment. And that pro-woman really means pro-life as well. So that's super important, uh, the ability to go out there. And at the, in the archdiocese here, you can go to archspm.org slash March for Life or just Google Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis and March for Life. And that information will come up. But sometimes you can't get to D.C. and uh, it, it's difficult. We, there's cost, there's time, et cetera, et cetera. The good news is that Minnesota also hosts its own uh, rally for life at the state capitol. And that'll occur on Wednesday, January 22nd, which is the anniversary date of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision. You can join marchers from across Minnesota at that event on the front steps of the capitol. There will be a gathering at noon with a brief program to follow at 1230. Um, And in the past, if the weather has been too unfriendly, the program has moved inside to the Capitol Rotunda. Um, Per usual, there's also a prayer service for life at the cathedral before that rally as well. And again, more information can be found on the Archdiocese website. We hope you all can make your presence, prayers, and voices seen and heard in defense of the unborn on those days. And again, uh, that occurs on January 22nd in St. Paul. That's all the time we have for today, but remember, you or your organization can become a sponsor of The Bridge Builder. Send your inquiries, and for more information, uh, to show at mncatholic.org or go to our podcast page, mncatholic.org slash podcast. To be a part of our mailbag segment, again, that email address is show at mncatholic.org or connect with us on social media. Remember, you can catch up on past episodes of The Bridge Builder by going to mncatholic.org slash podcast or connect with us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for tuning in today to The Bridge Builder. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges between faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and for our producer, Kit Cross, we hope you have a very blessed weekend.